Well, good morning, you all. I am very pleased to be able to bring the message here today. You know, my voice was feeling a little bit funny over the last day or so, and I thought I was going to be fine, but then we started singing, and I just, I just can't not sing, you know? So, uh, praise the Lord. It's such a, such a joy to be here and to worship the Lord uh, here together. My name is Carl Durley. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and um, we are completing a, a short sermon series here today. The series is called The Church and Its Mission. And this series started with Pastor Stephen several weeks ago, uh, and he began this series looking at the church and why the church exists. And that's important for us to set out in 2024 with a good understanding of based on scripture to demarcate the what and the who of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the church? Then Pastor Tim and Pastor Nick took us through the first two portions of our mission statement here at Fellowship Church. Pastor Tim taught on how we are to pervade the community and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Nick dug into our mission of making disciples who make disciples. And now this week, we complete our mission statement and this series. We exist to pervade the back mountain, the Wyoming Valley, and the world with the gospel by making disciples who make disciples and who display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of their lives. As pastors, we are doing this series because our mission as a church is critically important for us. Looking at our mission is a way of kind of recalibrating ourselves to the foundation and the things that really matter for us as a church, back to why we really exist. And as we, especially in this season as a church, as we step out not only into the new year, but a new season with a newly appointed lead pastor, we just want to go back and just, just say that we are wholeheartedly committed to our mission as a church. And this may be a new chapter for our church, but we expect that God will continue to lead us according to this mission that he's given to us. So let's pray together, ask the Lord to lead our understanding in this message. Would you pray with me, please? God Almighty, you are so good to us, and you have taught us um, by your Spirit so many times. And I ask for that again here today, that our understanding of your Word would be correct and according to what you intended when you inspired these words. We pray, Lord, that we would build our lives on that foundation, that we would, um, Lord, as a church, commit ourselves to the mission that you've called us to. Help our thinking and our actions and everything about us bring glory to your name and be what you want. Lord, we belong to you. Thank you for this time here together. Lead me as I speak. Lead us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, we believe that we, that is Fellowship Church, exists to display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ in every phase of our lives. Now that statement leads us to a lot of important questions. The first is what exactly is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? What exactly does that mean? How do we display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why should we display it? What happens when we do? And what would happen if we didn't? So the place I'd like to turn for these answers is the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. You can turn there if you wish. 
almost all of the scriptures that I refer to will be on the screen as well. But we'll be in John 17 for a while. In this passage, this incredible prayer happens shortly before Jesus was arrested and sent to the cross. And this prayer is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus because he was praying on behalf of others. He was praying on behalf of his disciples and his followers. He was interceding for them according to the perfect will of God. And I just got to say, what a gift that we have this prayer recorded in God's word. We get to kind of listen in as the son of God speaks to the father. And some of what he says to the father is about us. We get to listen in on this inspired word of God. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we know this is what he said, these words, in this conversation that we get to overhear between the Son of God and the Father. What a great gift we have to to be able to read these words and think about them. So in the first five verses, Jesus speaks about uh, glory with the Father. He refers to glory several times. And so if we're going to understand what it means to display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to understand what he means by glory. So follow along with me, John chapter 17, and I'll just read these first five verses to start us off. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So in this prayer, Jesus has called into view the eternal glory of the presence of the triune God, which always existed before anything was created. Consider that glory for a moment. Consider the glory within the triune Godhead before anything was made. It's absolutely beyond our imagination. It's absolutely beyond our comprehension. His glory within himself was not veiled in the slightest. It was absolute and total, filled with truth, the magnificent, majestic glory of God himself within himself. And this word glory refers to the magnificent character of God. It refers to the character and the brilliance and the essence of God manifest and made known within himself, his character, his perfection, his beauty, his authority. It's everything about who God is revealed and radiant. This is God's eternal glory. And there is literally nothing in the universe that even comes close to comparing to the magnificence or the value of the glory of God. And this is what God had within himself for eternity past, the eternal glory of the presence of God, totally unveiled and radiant and revealed. 
So for eternity past, God has been glorifying God within the three persons of the Trinity. Even in this passage, you see the son talking to the father and glorifying the father and the father glorifying the son. And we know that the Holy Spirit glorifies the father and glorifies the son. Glorifying God has been an act of God for eternity within himself because he knows that there's nothing more glorious than his glory. Within his own presence, his glory is unrestrained. It's unveiled. It's revealed in all of its fullness. And his glory is beyond our imagination. Glorification of the triune God within the triune God has been going on for eternity. And it will go on for eternity in his presence. So think about what happened when Jesus, the son of God, through the incarnation, took on human flesh. He was still the glorious son of God. He didn't give that up. However, he did lay aside the glories of heaven to receive a different kind of glory. He laid aside the glories of heaven and received this different kind of glory. Even though he was still worthy, he still had glory, but it was different. It was veiled, a veiled glory, as he was fully God and fully man. He glorified the Father through his obedience to bring eternal life to all who would receive it. And the father would glorify the son for his obedience through his death and resurrection. And he would be exalted to the name above every name. This eternal glory of God would be revealed to the world through the sending of Jesus Christ and through what he did. But the glory of the incarnate Jesus was a different type of veiled glory that not everyone could see. Jesus could walk by some people, and only those with eyes of faith could see his glory. If the eternal triune God were to reveal his glory, nobody would miss it. Nobody would misunderstand it. So Jesus speaks about glory with his Father. And then in this prayer, in verses 6 through 19, I'm just going to summarize. Jesus turns his prayer for his disciples, for those whom the Father had entrusted to him who had been following him up to that point. Those true followers, who did, those true disciples who did not turn away from him, and they would have to continue on after Jesus would ascend to heaven. He, he took time to pray for them. And here's some of what he said, just a couple of highlights. Jesus prayed that they would be kept in his name. He prayed that they would persevere in their faith. He prayed that they would be sanctified by the word of God and sanctified by the truth. He prayed that they would be one and kept in the name of Jesus. Interestingly, he did not pray that they would be taken out of the world, but that they would remain in the world to fulfill their mission. He did pray, however, that they'd be kept from the evil one as they are sent out by God on their mission. So that's just a quick summary of those verses 6 through 19, which, which leads us, of course, to verse 20. We come to verse 20, and there's something very important to note here. If you look with me at uh, chapter 17, verse 20, Jesus says this in his conversation with the Father. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. 
So who is Jesus talking about here? Is that you? Well, let's see. Do you believe in Jesus through the word of God handed down to us? If so, say amen. Amen. So he's talking about you. He is. Specifically, it's what it says. I pray for all of those who will believe in me through their word. He's talking about the church. This is a conversation between the son of God and the father about the church. So we should pay close attention to what he says and close attention to what he's praying for, because this is what he wants for his church. If we want to understand our mission, if we want to align ourselves and recalibrate ourselves to the mission that God has given us, then this conversation that the son has with the father is a critical place to look. It's what he wants for his church. So what does he pray for the church? He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. This is the first thing he prays for all of us, that they may all be one. Now, you've probably heard sermons on this before. I'm guessing if you've been around the church for a while. Maybe you've heard people refer to this John 17 prayer for unity in the church. And you know, to be honest, I've heard this passage referred to, this prayer referred to, uh, a lot of times as a call to Christians to get along better. And maybe to stop arguing so much. Because in John 17, Jesus wants us to be one. So let's just get along, smooth things over, and argue less. Sometimes this prayer has been used as a criticism of the existence of denominations. Sometimes it's been used even as a criticism of local churches that might operate too independently in some people's eyes. However, we should be careful before we interpret what Jesus meant on our own, maybe according to our own assumptions, or according to the principles of our world, We should interpret what Jesus meant by the context that he gives. Because Jesus in this verse gives us the definition of that oneness when he prayed for the church to be one. And I think it's far more than just getting along. Jesus actually defines this oneness in the text. Verse 21. That they may all be one. Here it is, the definition. Just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us. Wow. So Jesus is praying for the oneness of the church. But he prays and defines that oneness, that unity, by relating it to the unity of the Trinity. Of the relationship between the Father and the Son, Jesus says, let them be one just as I am in you and you are in me. He relates the oneness of the church to the oneness of the Trinity. This is mind boggling. And it's the context and the definition that Jesus used. I mean, look at it. It's, it's right there. If we want to understand what Jesus meant, we need to consider then What is the relationship between the father and the son? How is the oneness of the father and the son supposed to be 
something the church participates in. What is that oneness like? How in the world are we going to be brought into that oneness? This is much more than a prayer for us to stop arguing. To understand this, we need to know what Jesus meant by this kind of oneness. Because that's how he defines it. So here's a theological diagram that has been used for centuries to describe the Trinity. Within the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have perfect unity. He is one God. There are not three gods. There is one God. And he is revealed to us through the scriptures. And we discern from that this doctrine of the Trinity... That though he is one God, one in essence, he is distinct in persons. He is one in essence, there is one God, but distinct in persons. He is God, God is one. Yet his distinction is between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, distinct and revealed to us in three persons. Distinct in roles, distinct in actions. Distinct persons in a perfect relationship of one essence. Within himself, God is perfectly one. Within himself, God is one in purpose. He does not have three purposes. The Father doesn't have one purpose, and the Son has another, and the Holy Spirit has another. God, he has one purpose. He is always one in purpose. He is always one in will. Theologically, and this can be a tricky one, and I'd love to talk to you more. This could be a rabbit trail. There is one will within God. That he, it's not that they're pulling in three different directions. That would be three gods. There is one God revealed in three persons. One in love. Perfect. In God's relationship in love. One in characteristics. You don't have a, a kind person of the Trinity and kind of a mean one. And then, you know, and then the other one who's like a pushover. No, perfect in characteristics. The characteristics of God are the same. He is one in essence. He's not different in that sense. All the same. All three persons are the same in perfection of characteristics. Yet he is distinct in personhood. And with that, distinct in roles and actions, though careful, distinction in actions means you also have to combine that with his oneness because his actions are always working together in perfect harmony. Yes, the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. But the Father is God The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. For example, in salvation, when Christ died as the atoning sacrifice for our sin, we see the oneness of God accomplishing salvation. But this was not just a mission for Jesus. This was a mission of our triune God. The Father accepted the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. The Son obeyed the will of God to be the sacrifice, the perfect atoning sacrifice for our sin. And the Spirit applied the work of redemption to all those who were, who were being saved, that they would be united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. This salvation was accomplished by a triune God. If you don't have a triune God, you don't have salvation. One in essence one in purpose, one in love, one in will, yet distinct in personhood, 
to accomplish through distinct roles and actions, his will. So this is the context when Jesus says, may the church be one as the father is in the son and the son is in the spirit. May they be in us, he says. One in essence and purpose, yet distinct in persons and roles and actions, but always in harmony with one another. You see, this is kind of the opposite how we might think about oneness. When somebody says Christians just need to get along better, sometimes what they mean is you just need to smooth things over on the outside. You need to just kind of act the same, speak the same, but in your hearts you can be divided. As long as you just smooth things over. If you behave the same, yet you maintain your autonomy as individuals, you know, I'm in charge of me and you're in charge of you, but let's just try to get along. That's not the oneness of the Trinity, and that's not the oneness that Jesus is calling his church to. The oneness that Jesus defines for his church is actually the opposite of that. We are to have absolute oneness in our purpose, why we exist. Submitted to God's will. We are to be one in essence and one in identity that we are the church that belongs to him. But at the same time, we are to be distinct as people who are not the same. And it's okay to not be the same by God's design. Distinct in roles, distinct in personhood, not cookie cutter Christians who are just trying to fit into a mold to be like everybody else around them. Distinct people, diverse people who are unified in who we are in our essence, which is the church. One thing. Submitted to God's will for us. One in love, one in mission, but diverse in people who don't need to be the same. Now it's important to note, we don't create this unity. You can't fabricate this. It's not found anywhere else in the world. It's a supernatural oneness. And it's brought about by what Jesus said in this verse, that they also may be in us. This oneness can only be found as we are in him. We are brought into this relationship with God. And that is the source of our oneness. God has designed and invited his church to be in him. That is brought to the perfect oneness that God already enjoys within himself. Now, please understand, this is not to say we are going to be the fourth person of the Trinity or we're going to be gods in that respect or divine or any of that kind of hogwash, right? We're not to be, to think of it as it's our divine essence, but God has invited us, his rescued, saved church to come into fellowship with him. And to enjoy the relationship and the oneness that he already enjoys within himself. It's what Jesus said. It's what he prayed for. For us. Perfect and glorious fellowship with God. That's incredible. Through our oneness. Think about this. When we display that to the world, we're displaying something about who God is. We're not only enjoying oneness with God, but we're displaying to the world what God is like. Because our God is triune. 
Look what happens when that true and unique oneness is seen by the world. Further on in verse 21. So that the world may believe you sent me. Later in verse 23, it's very similar wording. That they, the church, may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me. So this is Jesus talking to the father. And he's saying that when the church displays this oneness together, this spiritual reality, when we're truly unified in him, we prove to the world that Jesus is from the father. Now that phrase that Jesus is from the father, that's loaded with meaning. If the world believes that Jesus is from the father, there's a whole lot that's attached to that because that would be acknowledging the Trinity that Jesus is God and he's, he proceeds from God. And with that is attached to the belief in the Holy spirit being God. When people believe that Jesus is from the father, they are, they are down that road and leading to their belief in the Trinity because that display of oneness goes out to the world. It's actually legitimizing in the world's eyes, the triune God. That the world may know that you sent me, Jesus said. If anyone receives that Jesus is from the father, then they can receive the salvation provided by the triune God. Whoever receives the son receives the father also. So when we, the church, display that spiritual reality, that oneness of God, it is much more than just arguing less and getting along more. We're displaying a spiritual reality that we are one in him together. And we're reflecting the, the glory of the triune God who broke into our world, bringing salvation through the gospel. In other words, the spiritual reality of the church being the church proves to the world that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now look with me at verse 22. I got to tell you, when I was preparing for this message, I found a phrase in verse 22 that I, I just had to sit down for a minute. I don't know how many times I've read this passage and I just never paid attention to this little phrase, I confess to you, but it blew me away. Here we see the church's mission of displaying the glory of Jesus. Verse 22, Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. Who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? You can say it. The church, right? He's talking about us. Talking about the church. The glory that you have given me, the glory that the father gave the son, he says in past tense, I have given it to them. Did you know this? Did you know that Jesus has already given the glory of Jesus to the church? It blew me away. He's already done that. The glory that the father gave to the son, I have given it to them. What does that mean? That seems really important to me. What is the glory that God gave Jesus? It must be a different kind of glory than the eternal glory of the presence of God. 
It is the glory which Jesus received when he showed up here in person, here in this world, as a revelation that the triune God is sending salvation into this broken world. It's the glory that Jesus received as God in the flesh. So what is that glory? The glory of Jesus is the revelation of the triune God that he has brought salvation in person into the midst of our broken world. It's the glory of the revelation of the salvation of God in the gospel. When Jesus showed up on earth, it it said that God sees us. He sees our need and he has sent the way. He has provided a way of salvation. Jesus' name means God saves. When he showed up as the incarnate son of God, he was showing the world, God saves and here I am. It is God showing up in person in the middle of our broken world. This is the glory of Jesus, which he has given to the church that get this. We would be in person revealing the gospel and the presence of God in the middle of a broken world, just like Jesus, that we would be incarnate, that we would be present in person revealing that God saves. This glory which Jesus gave to us, it includes the message, it includes the information, but it also includes the person. It it includes God being revealed. It's the revelation of salvation and it's the revelation of a triune God at the same time. It's the message that God provides forgiveness and it's also the revelation that God is a forgiving God. It's the message, and it shows us also what God is like. It's a revelation of him. It's the message of God's mercy, and it's the revelation that God is merciful. It's the message that God sent salvation, and it's the revelation that our God is the kind of God who would do such a thing. The glory of Jesus is the revelation that the triune God is salvation for the lost, the broken, And those who are under the curse of death. This is the glory that Jesus received from the father. This revelation of who God is. And that's what he gave to the church. This is the glory that we need to radiate to our world. As a beacon of his glory. It's the message that the triune God. He showed up in person. And he is salvation for all who will turn to him. An illustration that comes to mind is a display case for trophies in a hall of fame or in a school. The job of a display case really is to have clean, clear glass. It's to have a prominent location and it's intended to be seen and to shine light on those trophies to let them reflect because they're the thing that that's glorious. And the church is just like this to be like a display case, but the glory, which we display is the glory of Jesus. It's the glory 
that he's given to us so that we can shine his glory. You know, there's one more little phrase I don't want you to miss in this uh, passage. And it's easy to gloss over. Jesus says, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Just stop and think about that for a second. How does the father love the son? (laughs) Absolutely perfectly. Absolutely lavishly. Extremely. Whatever, whatever word you can think of. Perfect love. And Jesus, in talking to the Father, says, I want the world to know that you love the church the same way that you love the Son. I want that to be a distinctive about the church. I want, I want first of all, the church to know how they are loved. And I want the world to know that the church is loved by God perfectly. Perfectly. He wants the church to display it. That's something we get to display. That we are loved by God. Jesus says, I want the world to know that God loves the church absolutely and perfectly. And he wants that to be our reputation. Those who are loved by God. He loves his church. In the same way that the persons of the Trinity Love one another. That's perfect love. That's why I, I bristle sometimes when people see the church as an easy target for criticisms. The church is not doing this right, not doing that right. And the church, you know, big picture, the church. And I'd be the first to say the church is certainly uh, a, a flawed instrument um, in God's hands. But God loves the church. God loves the church. And I don't want to stand in his way by insulting his bride. Um, And something you've heard in each of these messages, the church universal is all those who have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's all part of this invisible church around the world that spans through ages of time. But a local church is a localized expression of the true church. A local church is a visible expression of the true church to the world. And so for us, is that our reputation? As those those people that get get together up on Hildebrandt Road, man, they are loved by God. (laughs) What if our community thought of us this way? That we are one in him? And that we radiate his glory. And that man, we are just so loved by God. What if we fully understood that? How God loves the church. The same way the father loves the son. I think you'd see it in our grace towards others. I think you'd see it. If we fully grasped that love, you'd see it in humility in us. You would see it in our kindness I think if we understood God's love for us, we would see it in our generosity and in our compassion. You would see it in our contentment. You would see it in our joy. And oh man, you would definitely see it in our worship. If we understood, I am so glad that God loves us. 
the way that he loves the son of God. In this conversation between the son of God and the father, we overhear what Jesus wants for us. He wants us to be one, to display that. He wants the world to know the salvation of the triune God breaking into our world. And he wants the world to look at us and just see how good and perfect it is to be really loved by God. He wants us to be the ones to show them. That's not a bad assignment, is it? Like just to be loved by God and let the world see it. Let the world see you being loved by God. I'll take that assignment any day. This is what it means to display the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. To display his salvation, God in the flesh, to save us. To display true unity, as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. And to display his perfect love, as we are recipients of his perfect love. There was a passage Pastor Nick referred to last week in 2 Corinthians 3. You can turn, you if you, turn there if you wish, but uh, uh, it'll be on the screen as well. 2 Corinthians 3.18 also talks about glory and about uh, radiating or displaying God's glory to the world, which is part of our mission. And 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So first of all, that phrase, beholding the glory of the Lord, that beholding is a word that carries two ideas with it. One of being transformed by that glory, because if you behold the glory of God, it's going to change you. And also reflecting that glory, like light reflecting off of gold. The glory of the Lord changes us and it radiates to the world. And this verse also says it goes from one degree of glory to another, from glory to glory. There's this increasing glory as we behold the Lord. It transforms us more and we reflect it more and they see God more. But do you notice it says in that first part of this verse, and we all with unveiled face. You guys see that? We all with unveiled face. Does that seem like a typo to you? Uh. We all is plural, right? Face is singular. Why doesn't it say we all with unveiled faces? And actually, so I started digging into this and looking at different translations. Some English translations have faces as a plural word there. So, so they, they don't all get that. So I went back and found the, uh, just back to the Greek and looked at the Greek words that were used there in the original. And sure enough, we all is a plural word. For sure. And face is a singular word in the original. For sure. So this is actually more technically accurate of a translation. Uh, We all with unveiled face. I think that's pretty cool. Because I think it tells us about our unity. We all together with unveiled face, what's that talking about? When we are one in Christ, we are one church. And the face is the face of the church to the world that we're all a part of. 
That's the reason. We as a church are one in essence, a unified church that beholds the glory of God would be a unified church that reflects the glory of God. And it's the unified church that Jesus wants the world to see. He said, I want you to be one so that the world will know that I come from the Father. See, us displaying that oneness is a way that God uses to shine his glory to the world, to prove that he's for real. The church is one in essence and one in face. There's just one church shining to the world. One in essence, yet distinct and diverse in people. One in Christ, reflecting his glory as one, so that the world will believe. After looking at this, uh, this passage, I have a, a few application points or questions for reflection that I'll just leave for you uh, to think about. One, let's think about putting biblical unity into practice. Biblical unity, the way that Jesus defines oneness. Unity in the church is about one identity, one purpose, one will, not just getting along more. So it, it should feel, when you're, when you're brought into that oneness in the church, it should feel a little bit like you're forsaking your own individualistic will. And, and it should feel more like we're giving up our will than getting our will. To be a part of the church, a fair question is, how can I give up my demands, my individual will, in order to be unified in God's will for his church? That's part of our being one in him. And the flip side of that is also to maintain a diversity of persons. We're not all to be the same. There is no cookie cutter for the, for the church. The balancing question is, how can I be who God has uniquely designed me to be in order to display the unity of the church? So be one, but be distinct as people. The oneness, this kind of oneness will show the world that Jesus is from the Father. That's what he said. A second admonition is keep beholding the glory of God in every phase of your life. This every phase means, the reason it's in our mission statement, means that this beholding the glory of God and being a part of this mission, it's for the young, it's for the old, it's for the single, it's for the married, it's for the teens, it's for the retirees, it's for the working, it's for the stay-at-home parent, it's for the locals, it's for the immigrants, in every phase of life, no matter what it is, let the glory of God transform you and reflect from you as you are one in the church. So ask, how can we behold the glory of God in every phase of life, no matter what my role is, so that we display his glory more and more? I'm so glad that we have an intergenerational church. It's, it's glorious to, I, I learn things from the little kids. I learn things from the retirees and everywhere in between. Just, just keep doing that. that. That's the right way to do church. It's for all of us to be united and one in him.
behold the glory of God in every phase of our lives and display his glory in unity. And third, remember, Jesus wants the world to know that you are perfectly loved by God, lavishly loved by God. Make that something that we're known for. When people talk to you about what it's like to be a part of the church, you can tell them, I'm just so thankful that God loves me, that he loves us, that he loves his church. How can we display how awesome it is to be loved by God? It's going to come out in our joy and in our contentment and our thankfulness. We're going to radiate peace and humility and graciousness. Let it be seen in how we worship the Lord. We are just so thankful that God loves his church. At the end of this, uh, at the end of this prayer in John 17, verse 24, Jesus says this, and then I'll, um, I'll invite the worship team up in just a minute. It says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, Again, this is Jesus talking to the Father about us. I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So if we have already received the glory of Jesus that he received in the incarnation, the message of salvation through the gospel, do you know what else? You ain't seen nothing yet, as they say. He wants to share the eternal glory of his presence with us too. Jesus wants to share that, that, that glory that's beyond our comprehension and our imagination. It is his plan. These are his words that he wants us to share in that glory. That those who are in Christ will be with him to share in that glory with our triune God someday. Unveiled. Unrestrained. That's what we're headed for. So display his glory now. And then one day we'll behold his eternal glory in person. Can we pray? Let's pray. Lord God, our triune, magnificent God, full of glory, full of grace and truth, and authority and power, we bow before you and acknowledge that we belong to you and the mission that we have on this earth is something that, um, that you have called us to, that you have not desired that we be taken immediately out of the world, but that we would remain in person with the glory of Jesus radiating from us in everything we do. You are worthy of glory and honor and praise. Lord, help us to love your church the way that you do. Help us to behold your glory and to be more like you are. And I pray, Lord, you would radiate your glory to the ends of this earth so that the world would know that Jesus is from the Father, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is one God in three persons who has sent salvation to this broken world. Thank you for letting us proclaim that with thankfulness and joy, and thank you for loving us every step of the way. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.